Welcome to the Trep Life Podcast. We will dive into the immersive worlds of entrepreneurship, empowerment, and empathy with an emphasis of hip-hop culture. All of these concepts will be dissected and connected via a historic lens, so prepare for an engaging transformation. Just a friendly reminder, if you are experiencing value and insight from Trep Life, support the movement by liking, subscribing, and sharing the podcast. You are instrumental in our impact and influence on the world. Reviews are greatly appreciated because they help the podcast grow. Here at Trep Life, we wish you peace and vision on your journey. Trep Life Tribe, Trep Stars, uh, my Trep Lifers, uh, whatever name that we've decided to give to the listeners of the podcast, I don't think we're going to figure out in season one but who knows we just may might um i have a very special guest on the podcast all of our guests are special but this is uh someone um who i have a personal affinity for and i'm really happy because this episode has been a long time coming but without further ado you guys all know that i'm not the greatest with the intros So I'll just give the floor to our guest, Ingrid. Hello, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. My name is Ingrid Hansen-Tuntland. I am a volleyball player. I play professionally in Europe. I'm a global citizen. I live in Europe and America. Um, I play nine months out of the year, my season, and play Champions League. I've won uh, two national championships as a professional uh, two cup championships, three MVPs. I've been in Champions League as the top blocker um, for one of the rounds. I've been named mes- best middle blocker um, in a few leagues. And my stats are usually at the top, and that's what I really work for. Um, I really enjoy what I do, and uh, I'm a middle blocker. And um, I like to play a few other positions as well, wherever my team needs me. But uh, that is my job. And I love it. And uh, I'm from Chicago. I also do some acting, modeling uh, in Chicago and New York. Um, I sing. I do musicals. I love opera. Um, I just love to entertain and perform. I also have a few side businesses um i'm an artist and um yeah working on a new animated film um i've been in a short film uh last year and recently this year had my first network role um with proven innocent and uh yeah it's just a really really exciting really exciting time to be alive what a time to be alive <laughs> so How long have you been playing volleyball? Um, Over half my life now. I started when I was 14. Um, And I when I started, I had never heard of the sport, never seen it before. So I was not the best when I started, but I um, I grew into it very quickly. Um, It was very easy for me to pick up as I started to learn the rules and the techniques and um, I grew to love it very quickly. So what made you fall in love with the game? I started to fall in love with it once I realized that I was never done learning. 
it's been geez 17 years 18 years now that I've been playing and the rules are changing everyone's getting bigger faster stronger and you always have to try to keep up and you always have to try to be better than your teammates better than your opponents and there's like your work is never finished and once I started realizing that that there was always room to grow I really started falling in love with it okay so where does your work ethic come from and like what's your routine like um oh where does it come from well I I'm very competitive and I think I was born that way um my mom raised me to um to always like dive into everything headfirst and be completely like involved and and into it in the moment um we traveled a lot she introduced me to a lot of sports I did a lot of individual sports so there was a lot of um self-discipline that comes with with individual sports and you really have to focus on yourself and um, your technique and your focus and you're only as strong as as you push yourself to be and sometimes you need some outside motivation sometimes you don't know how strong you can be because you only are what you are but if you know you can be better then you push yourself outside your limits and then you discover that you're greater than you thought you were. And so I think that's where my work ethic comes from is, is um, my mom pushing me to try different things and get me outside of my comfort zone. And, um, and I think that really, really helped with my mentality that you're never really stuck in one level or one position that you can always grow and do more things. And, um, my coach is always like that about me, that I wasn't afraid to try something new and that I always believed in myself and I have a lot of confidence. Um, so I think that all it's all encompassing in, in work ethic is just knowing that there's more that you can push yourself to another level. Can you briefly explain the positions of volleyball to those of us that may not know? Sure. Um, when I first started, there were only six positions. Now okay. there are seven. So there are six people on the court, but seven players play. There are, um, there's the outside players. They're outside hitters. They play on the left side of the court. Um, when you look at the, the court, you have the net and you have the two antennas. The, t- the antenna on the left is where the left side player plays. They're called outsides, hook players, um, wing players, um, they have a, a few, a few different names, um, or position four. Then you have the middle blockers, which are like me. Um, they're called middle blockers, middle hitters, um, position three. Um, and then you have the right side hitters or the opposites or the diagonals, um, or position two. They are opposite of the setter. The setter is the quarterback of the team. She runs the court or he runs the court. They call all the plays um, before the service is made, before every first contact of every point. Um, So they're really, really important. They run everywhere. They are the best ball players on the team, uh, and they are the smartest players. Um, They also have to be very aggressive and very under control and calm all at the same time. 
<laughs> so they have to know all the rules. They have to know every rotation. They have to know who needs to be where. So they have a very, very hard job. And you have to be really smart to be that position and very athletic. Um, then <clears throat> there are the defenders who um, play back row. That's where the seventh person comes into play. They wear a different colored jersey. They're called Libro. And usually their specialty is defense. A lot of times they're a little bit smaller because they're closer to the ground. So they're faster for the balls that come really hard and go straight to the ground. They can sub in and out um, freely. It won't count as a sub. If you have someone wearing the same color jersey uh, who's a regular player and they sub in, there has to be um, a bit of a timeout in the game and it has to be approved by the referees, the um, the people at the uh, stand at the yeah where they keep the score. Um, yeah. They have to write down the exchange, and then there are rules for when that person comes out. If a libra goes in for them, uh, if they go to serve, there's a, a few rules with subbing in and out. Uh, in Europe, you're only allowed to sub in and out for one player. So if one person comes in for a player and they come back out, they're not allowed to go back in and exchange again. In America, you can do that uh, for as many times as you have subs. I think it's 18. I'm not really sure about the American rules. Um, you can sub them in and out for each other as many times as you want until you run out of subs. In Europe, you can only do it one time. So there's a bit of strategy with subs as well. Um, it can be dangerous subbing people in at the wrong time um, or subbing the wrong person in for the wrong person. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really uh, exciting sport. Um, it's grown a lot in the past 15 years. The rules have changed. Um, they're always trying to adapt to uh, entertaining a crowd and uh, making sure that it's good for TV as well. I think beach volleyball has done an amazing job. Um, and I think... And I, I don't want to be quoted on this, but I think, because I know this was a fact a couple of years ago, that it's the number two sport in the world behind um, European football, soccer. So it's really, really popular. And unfortunately, we don't have a league in America, so we all have to leave uh, America if we want to play professionally. So when did that decision come about for you to decide to play professionally? Um, it was my junior year. I played at uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Go Heels. Um, it was my junior year. My team was doing a European tour, playing all the junior national teams um, throughout Europe. And we made a stop in Italy, and we were playing the junior national team in Italy. And there was an agent there. He's actually uh, the biggest agent in the world. And he was watching our game and came up to me after the game. And he said, hey, I think you're good enough to play professionally. Have you ever considered it? And I said, no, I didn't even know that was an option, uh, but I'm interested. And so he said, OK, after your eligibility runs up, call me or email me and we'll be in contact and I'll uh, I'll get you a team. And that's how it all started. So what was that process like? Um, it was, it was different from anything that I had experienced before because I've been recruited before, obviously from high school being recruited for, uh, college sports. I was the number one recruit in the nation my junior year. Um, so that was very overwhelming. 
getting over 300 letters from schools and having to make a decision, having to find a top 10, top five, and then finding my one. Um, That was very hard. With my agent for professional teams, it was a lot easier (laughs) because I had uh, maybe five options to choose from. I would say yes to one, and then that would fall through because they would choose someone taller. Um, I would say yes to another. That would fall through because it turns out they didn't have the money that they said they did. Um, I would say no to one because the money wasn't good enough. Uh, I would say no to one because they weren't going to be a good team with a winning mentality and wanting to win a championship. So everything kind of fell into place. Um, I was supposed to play in Puerto Rico my first season, um, but then they decided they didn't want any middles and they only wanted outsides. So that fell through. I was uh, disappointed about that. But then what fell into place was my, um, my Swedish team. They were uh, the former champions of the league, and they wanted to win another championship. They had already won two in a row. They were looking to make history and win three in a row. So I was there. Um, we all had the same goal. We worked really hard, and then we, uh, then we won the championship that year. So my first year playing pro, I made all-star team, um, top middle blocker, uh, best, best foreign player, rookie of the year, uh, all the awards. Uh, it was a really great first season, um, but the recruiting process was was a much more simple than um, than it was for getting recruited for college. So, what in terms of what you look for in your team has your criteria changed at all, or has it remained pretty much the same? Yes, criteria has changed for sure because. As I get older and I have more experience, um, some things that used to be important to me aren't as important now. And some things that I thought would get better didn't actually get better with time. For example, um, when I first started, I just wanted to win, 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 win. I didn't care how much money I made. I didn't care where I lived. I just wanted to win. And now... As I, as I started to progress through um, my seasons, I realized I don't want to stay in the same place. I really like living in Europe. I like learning about new cultures. I like trying new foods. I like hearing different languages. I want to go to a new country every year and try to play for a team who wants to win, um, but also where I can make more money and... I have a chance of living a really good life when I'm there. So those became really important factors in um, accepting offers. Granted, a lot every year offers fall through, sometimes at the very very beginning, sometimes at the very end. So it's a a really, it's not necessarily an up and down process. Um, I know some of the girls and guys that I know that, that play it's very, very stressful for them because it's not a very secure job. Um, Sometimes if you're not good enough, you get fired and you get sent home. Sometimes the club doesn't have the money and they just try to pay you later and later and later. Either accept it or leave. Um, And sometimes you just don't like it. And so then you transfer. 
Um, sometimes you don't get a team right away. Sometimes you have to wait a couple months. And so it's a really um, a stressful life. And for me, I kind of live one day at a time. So it's not stressful for me at all. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, I'm meant to do something else somewhere else <laughs> at, a, at a different time in my life. So um, everything changed over the years, uh, my criteria for choosing a team. Um, when I chose my team for this year, I've played for this team before and I really like the city. It's a little less money than I'm used to making, but I already knew that, but the, the city's amazing. The girls are amazing. The club is like a family and there are other really, really good sports here that are in the top of their class in the world. So it's really nice environment to be around. And that was important for me. Um, in the past I've played in cities that didn't really have a lot to do, didn't really have a nightlife or a cultural, um, um, like threshold that, that I could be a, be a part of or learn about. Um, people were closed off or there weren't really like museums or anything to do. Everybody just once, once four o'clock hit and people are done with work, they just go home and that's it. So I really like to be social and I like to experience different types of culture. And the city that I'm in now, Innsbruck, Austria, is amazing. The weather's amazing. The people are amazing. The museums are great. The restaurants are great. The sports are great. There's, there's so much here. And I really, really like that. And that was important to me. Plus, I want to learn German. I think it's, it'll be good for my, my future. Um, and yeah, I'm really happy. So I know you take everything one day at a time, but have you thought about your post career as a player? You know, your post yes. Um, three years ago, I started planning my, my retirement. Um, I wasn't sure when I wanted to retire, if I wanted to retire on top, like after I win my next championship, or do I want to retire when my body's like, nah, bruh. Like it's done. Um, so I'm still, I'm still figuring out when I actually want that cutoff date to be. I thought last year I was going to retire and then I was totally missing volleyball. And so I went back for a, a championship and we won uh, the championship last year in Albania, which was really nice. Um, now they're playing champions league, uh, without me, but, um, it was, it was great for me because, I wasn't ready to retire. Um, when I think about retiring, I think, where do I want to live? What do I want to do? What do I need to set up in order to keep me satisfied from not having volleyball anymore? Um, because I've, I've talked to a lot of my friends who have retired and some of them are happy and some of them had to prematurely retire because of an injury. So of course they're not happy about that. Um, but I always ask them, you know, when did you know you were ready to stop? And they said they just knew. And I'm not at the point where I just know. I'm at a point where I'm like trying to figure out it. when, yeah, when am when I, I going to retire? So um, it hasn't hit me yet. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep going, but I do have other things lined up that I want to do. I have my acting, uh, my agency in Chicago and New York. Um, 
I have my singing, I have my manager in America. Um, there are some projects that I want to work on while I'm in Europe. I think it'd be awesome to uh, collaborate with some European artists before I go back to America while I'm here and can use the studios. Um, there's, there's a lot that I'm, that I'm trying to put in the works so that I am all set and ready to go when I retire. Because up until this point in my life, everything has been very structured and I've been guided. Now is the first time in my life where I'm on my own and I have to make my own decisions. And there's no one telling me, okay, this is the next step and this is how you do it and this is who you need to talk to. And these, these are the papers you need to fill out. Um, and so it's really hard, <laughs> quote unquote, adulting, you know, um, life for yourself. So um, I do, I, I write down my pros and cons list. I have my, my plans. I have my, my goals for the month, my goals for the next three months, my goals for the season, my goals for next year, my goals for the summer my goals for the next five years. What do I want to see in my life happen? Um, so every day is really exciting because I always have something to work towards. Do you use the WhatsApp app? Every day. Every day. That's your primary line. That's my primary. Yeah. My iMessage isn't working. I'm still trying to figure out how to, it stopped once I got this update. So iMessage is really kind of, I love iMessage. I love all things Apple. I'm not getting paid for this, uh, this ad, but I'm being honest. This is my, uh, my true feelings. I like that Apple products can, can be used across the board anywhere in the world without a phone number, just with an, um, the Apple ID. And, um, I've been able to use that consistently. Um, in America, obviously everybody uses iMessage here. Not a lot of people have iPhones. Um, they usually use the Samsung. So WhatsApp is, is perfect because when I'm in America, I use that. And then when I'm here, I can talk to everybody else using I, iMessage. But when I have the local number and everything, WhatsApp is, is the way to go. So we, we kind of went on a little bit of a tangent, my fault though. But in terms of the retiring process or contemplating that is there like a certain monetary value that you're looking for is it an accomplishment what what's what's that look like for you what i look for is something that will allow me to live the same lifestyle that i have now and i want more after this so i really enjoy traveling and I want to create a life for myself where I can still travel. I want my business to include traveling. So I want something either international or national, but, you know, state to state, not just in one area. Um, I talk to some of my friends who are in business and anything is possible. Literally anything you want to do is possible. And so it's just about coming up with a plan. And uh, it's really important for me to still have that as a part of my life. I want a family. I want to be married. I want to have kids. And I want my family to be able to travel with me. I have a lot of friends who, who are able to do that in their lives. And I want to model my life uh, off of theirs. Um, when you see something's possible, 
you want to be able to do the same thing, especially if you, if you like it. So, um, when I think of retiring, uh, I still want to work. I still want to grow and create things. Um, and I, I was just brainstorming, uh, literally last night with one of my friends, um, about all the possibilities that could be reality. Um, he's a commercial real estate, uh, owner. Um, his family has a company, three companies actually. Um, so just talking about some ideas and what the possibilities could be throughout the year. Um, is it seasonal? Is it going to be pop-up stores? Is it going to be something investing in this or that? Um, so just brainstorming ideas and, um, eventually coming up with an actual written plan, um, and then following through with it. So yeah, my retirement plan is just business. It's really, that's what I want to do. I want to either start my own businesses, uh, that are going to be, um, ongoing and successful that are going to fulfill a need for other people, um, I really want to get into charity work. I want to be able to give back and give to other people the way that I've been given my whole life because I, I've had so many people come into my life and help me when I needed help. Um, and I want to be able to do that for, for others as well because I didn't realize how much help I had until I look back, you know, because in the moment you're just going through the motions. But when you look back, you're like, man, I had so much help <laughs> and I want to be able to do the same. So charity, business, travel, um, freedom. That's what I'm looking for in my retirement. So do you think you would ever want to be like a scout or a coach or, or a manager or like own Personally, a team? I don't know if I would ever want to be a coach because that's their whole life. So they have to be really coaches are very, very passionate and like they, they eat, sleep and breathe their sport, their players. Um, that's, that's not me. That's me as a player, but I don't think that I would be a, a very dedicated coach and coaches I mean, I don't think they get the appreciation that they deserve. Honestly, you see the players, they're the big stars, you know, and the coaches are, are mainly what's behind it. They're the inspiration. They're the training. They're the, the technique. They, they help with the scouting. They, they help make the players better. And they, they hire a team that really like takes care of the whole team. And it's like, a, it's a well-oiled machine. When you have a winning team, you have the right people on board, but it all starts with, with the board and it starts, and then it goes to the coach. I don't know if I could be a coach. Maybe I'd want to be on the board to help give, um, give ideas on uh, how to make the team better, how to manage it better, how to market it better. Um, but I, I couldn't dedicate my life to coaching the way that really good coaches do because my, my interests are elsewhere. So as a player, I, I am 100% all the way in, but 
Yeah, I don't think I would be a scout. I was offered to be a scout for a sports academy um, with really good benefits, but for some reason it just didn't interest me. I'd rather be playing. (laughs) But I think it's just because I'm already playing right now. Maybe it'll be different when I stop. I don't know. Yeah, I think your one-day-at-a-time philosophy, just practicing presence, you can answer some of those questions when that time comes. Yeah. When the time comes, I think it'll be a little bit more relevant because I'm not in that mentality at all right now. So tell us about your leadership style. Describe that for us. Um, I've been told I lead by example. Um, I'm not a person who takes someone by the hand and, talks to them and says, okay, you know, this, this, and this, and we're going to do this. And this is how you need to be. I, for me, I feel like I don't have time for that because I'm so, I'm already so involved and busy um, with doing things in in the moment. You know, I, I like to have fun. I'm dancing, laughing. Um, But then when it's game time, uh, you know, it's time to show what you've been working on all week. So um, I think that I'm pretty loud when, when things aren't going well, I try to take charge and, and help my teammates um, and find solutions to the problems. If, if, if a team is killing us in a certain area and we're not adjusting, I'll say something and be like, Hey, let's just change this little thing. See what happens. If it doesn't work, let's go back to what we were doing before but if it works, then then let's just do it. But I'm I'm more of a doer than a talker. Um, so I guess that would be my my leadership style is is more by example. And when did you start getting into leadership, or did it just come naturally for you? Because, or was it like forced upon you because you were a, a highly respected player, a highly talented player? Um, I don't know if it, if it was forced on me ever. I think it just naturally happens. I've only ever been captain once in my life. Um, and there's a lot of responsibility with being a captain. You are the social leader for the team and you're the liaison between the team and the coach and the team and the board. Um, I think that role is more for someone who is, very well organized on paper, um, very attentive, um, very empathetic. And my personality, I'm more independent. So I kind of stray away from the group and I kind of do my own thing. I guess that's also a form of leadership is, is being able to be self-sufficient. Um, but when I am with the group, I'm all inclusive and I don't like drama. I don't like to be a part of it. So I try to separate myself. If it gets bad enough, then I'll get involved and I'll try to stop the, you know, bad stuff from happening. But um, a lot of times that's the captain's job. And sometimes the captain doesn't have that kind of personality to be so bold. Um, so I kind of take that role. Um I don't know, maybe it's a natural thing, um, but 
I really, I have a kind of like a don't care attitude and I'm not afraid to get in somebody's face. And I'm also not afraid to stand up for myself. So I think a lot of those things combined uh, draw people to me when they're lacking in some areas and need expertise or need help um, when it comes to those kind of things. Um, otherwise, I, I'm, I'm pretty laid back. I'm a team player. I'm not someone who needs the spotlight or throws a tantrum if I'm not the one that everybody goes to. Um, I don't need attention like that, but um, I don't think that that's really what a leader does, but um, sometimes that's, that's what some of the leaders that I've seen in the past, they need that. Um, otherwise, they don't feel fulfilled or they don't feel like they're the ones in charge per se. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe it's just a natural thing. How do you manage your interpersonal relationships with you being, with you dedicating so much of your life to your craft, your sport? It is still an ongoing process. It was very hard in the past, um, especially when um, Facebook was still kind of new. Instagram wasn't even around yet. Uh, Snapchat wasn't around yet. Twitter was still around um, and was still kind of popular. Um, that kind of helped keep my relationships together with my family, my friends. Um, I would share a lot of photos on Facebook of what I was doing. I had a blog. I was very uh, involved and dedicated to sharing my life with the people I was away from or the people that I hadn't met yet who were interested in uh, me as a player in their city, or if there were other players uh, being interested in the kind of life that, that they could live if they play professionally. Um, so I used to be very, very involved in social media and blogging. But then that took up so much of my life outside of volleyball and outside of actually living my life where I was living, I kind of started to stray away from that. And I never really had a good smartphone up until maybe a couple of years ago um, because it wasn't really that important to me to um, always be on my phone and always be talking to people. I would want to live my life and meet the people that were in town or uh, go to a museum or go to a show. And now I'm realizing that it is very important to actually talk to my friends uh, individually, not just posting for uh, a mass amount of people to read. Because I would get 30, 40 messages from my friends, from my family. Hey, how was your weekend? How was your game? What did you do? Where did you go? And that's what the mass posting was for so that I wouldn't have to answer 40 messages. But now I'm kind of a little bit more individualized. Uh, my messages are tailored for individuals. I have app. I use Instagram. Um, I don't use Snapchat as much as I used to. I don't use Twitter at all anymore. 
Facebook. I barely use it. I just kind of repost things from Instagram onto Facebook so that everybody sees it because some of my family doesn't have Instagram. Um, but I like to create relationships in the city that I'm in, but I also like to maintain the ones that are very important to me um, when they're out of the country or if I'm not on the same continent as them. I have people in Australia, in America, in Europe um, that I like to keep in contact with. I have one friend in Asia as well. Um, and for me, it's important to at least make one trip a year to visit them. Um, to maybe, maybe not every day, but at least once a month, say hi, check in. Um, either a phone call or a video call. I don't use Skype nearly as much as I used to. I used to live on Skype. Now it's WhatsApp, phone call, or video. Um, sometimes the occasional Instagram video. Uh, Messenger used to be great with video, but then uh, WhatsApp is just so much better. Um, but yeah, I sending letters, sending postcards. I like doing all those cute little things. Sometimes I buy little gifts um, for my friends when I think of them or my family, uh, little small gifts, because I live out of a suitcase, so I can't really bring a lot of stuff with me and I can't take a lot of stuff back. So it's more about like little small memories um, to keep those relationships strong. But it is hard and it's very hard to have a relationship um, like with another person intimately. Uh, because I'm, I'm really never home. I travel all the time. I work out all the time and it's, it's hard to, to, to have that balanced life. Um, but it is something I crave in the future. So that's also something that I'm working on, um, having time for. Absolutely. Um, so what, in your opinion, is required to be a champion? Well, first of all, you have to want it, really want it. And if you're an individual, you have to work harder than anybody else. And if you're a team, you all have to be on the same page. You can't have one person who doesn't believe in it because they'll be, they'll be the broken link in the chain that makes it stop. So I've been a part of teams where there have been one or two people who, who have literally quoted, I'm over it. I'm ready to go home. And for me, if that's your attitude, quit. Don't stay. Don't be a cancer. Don't put it in other people's heads that it's okay to be over it because maybe they were all in and then they heard that person say, I'm kind of done. That and then maybe, maybe they think, text. oh, maybe I can be done too. I'm kind of tired. You have, no. to, you have to think all the way to the end that it's not over until it's over. There's no maybe. There's no if. There's only we're doing this and we're going in 100%. And you're either on board or you need to stay at home and not be a part of the team. And that winning mentality will move mountains because I've been a part of a lot of championship teams. I won two gold medals with junior Olympics with my volleyball team. 
And that was our goal from before we even touched any balls, any volleyballs. That was our goal was to be the champions. And then we figured out our goals, what we had to do before we could get there. But the end goal was always the same and everybody was on board and you had to print it out and look at it every day. Championship. We're going for the championship. We want to make history. And so I think that that's the most important thing is wanting it. So just wanting it. And if someone doesn't want it, they just need to leave it alone. Yeah. If you don't believe in it, you're not going to get it. You have to believe in it. You have to want it. You have to believe in it. Because if you don't want it, you're not going to work for it. And if you don't believe in it, you're not going to work hard enough for it. You might slack off. You might take a day off. You might be like, eh, I don't need to do that so hard today. I don't need to, I don't need to push as hard as I can today because I don't know that the other team has some pretty strong players and, you know, maybe we're not going to win this one. So I'm just, I'm just not going to work as hard because what's the point if we're just going to lose, you can't have that kind of mentality. And if you're going to have that either keep your mouth shut and don't spread the negativity to the rest of the team or maybe reevaluate, where you are maybe you don't maybe you shouldn't be on on a team that's dedicated maybe you want to be on a less dedicated team that doesn't practice as often that doesn't train as hard because you you don't have that mentality to go to the end and do whatever it takes to win so do you think there are a lot of teams that have kind of already predetermined where they want to be by the time the season starts, like they've said to themselves, we want to be champions, or there's some teams who say, we're just trying to make the playoffs, or some teams who say, we're, we're just here to go along to get along sort of thing. Yes, all three. There are all three levels in every league. There are teams that say, we just want to make playoffs. It'll be club history if we just make playoffs. Or we're happy, our sponsors are happy if we're just between fourth and sixth in the league. And then there are teams that say championship, gold medal, or nothing. We lay it, we lay it all out, everything on the line. We get the best players that we can. We get the hardest workers we can. We get the most positive people who are good at what they do. And we want to surround ourselves with, with like-minded players and like-minded coaches and like-minded uh, sponsors because it's, it's, it is a team effort and it's not, it's not just the players that make it happen. It's everybody around it. So I totally agree with that. You know, I'm a big uh, basketball fan um, and I believe that usually there's only five teams who are serious about winning every year, Mm -hmm. you know, in the NBA, right? Um, And other teams are 
have different goals, but in terms of teams that are really doing every teams will say, Oh, we're pursuing the championship every year, but behind closed doors, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, so I think there, there is a difference in the mentality of a team that is trying is going all out is competing with everything that they have versus a team that's saying I mean you even have teams in the NBA now that will um that that practice tanking you know so that just kind of shows you what what that mentality is and I think I think it's very detrimental that to even expose particularly young players to a losing mentality what do you say about that? I think it's insane. Really. Because what I've learned and what I've what I've heard from former players who are now in the real world, no longer entertainers, they said that everything that you learn in sports is applicable to your life outside of sports. Right. And so if you're taught to cheat, if you're taught to lose, that's what you're going to take away from that and implement into your, your regular life after sports. And it's really a scary thought because, like you said, especially for young players, they are, are just learning. They're just getting their feet wet. them to a losing culture. Yeah. I personally don't know about uh, which, which teams do that. Um, I have a few friends who still play in the NBA now. Um, a few of them are, are NBA champions, and they're they definitely, definitely not a part of that culture. Um, but I, I do like how players can, even though they have agents, they're kind of their own managers in a sense because they can choose to go somewhere with a certain goal, like knowing that that would be the goal when they go there or if they stay, that their, their only option in their mind is to win, is to win a championship. And which franchise do I play for that I can be the most successful in? Which players can I play with that I'll be the most successful with? I know a lot of people are, are big on loyalty and, you know, the whole LeBron, you know, changing teams. But, like, you got to think about it's his career. And you have to respect his work ethic. You have to respect him as an athlete. He created a brand. He is, he's LeBron. He's, he's 23. He's, he's not Jordan 23. He's LeBron 23, the same number, different brand. And it's really incredible. And I like that he is almost creating a team. Like he's himself, you know, He's like, I'm going here. If you want to follow me, this is where I'm going. This is what I want to do here. I want to win a championship, and I want winners with me. And people people follow that. People love to be led by a winner that they believe in, that they've seen has a proven track record of being the best. And if you're competing against him, that's even better because it'll make you better. I think you grow as either a person, a player, you grow in your industry 
when you compete against someone who is either as good as you or better than you, because it brings out something extra in you that maybe you didn't know you had inside. And so I really like the LeBron era right now. I think it's really, really good for basketball. I think it's great for the younger players who grew up admiring him and now they're playing with him or they're playing against him. Right. And it's really just accelerating the level and this like killer mentality in the game. And it's inspiring everyone around the world. I mean, I'm, I'm living in Austria and there are LeBron fans here. There are Danny Green fans here. There are like huge, huge NBA and NFL fans because of, of the culture that is wrapped around this winning lifestyle. That's really interesting. I didn't know the NFL was so big. Yeah, they even have American football leagues here. <laughs> it's amazing. They you start training. Yeah, they start training about them that. When, they're, when they're 13, 14, 15 years old. Um, European basketball is, is definitely more popular than American football, but um, it it has become so popular. They know all of our celebrities. They know a lot of our athletes. Um, and the, it's, it's just, it's amazing how small the world has become because of the internet and because of TV. Um, but it's, it's, it's really, really nice to see how inspired people from across the water, uh, are by our athletes and by our business leaders and by our politicians in the sense um, because they, everybody wants to be part of a winning team. Nobody wants to be part of a losing team. And that's why I think that it's insane that, that people are literally like learning how to lose. And then I, I think you just destroy the morale and potential of players because you have these number one draft picks that have usually had pretty good experiences in college, or even if they're coming from Europe or what, whatever the case may be, right? Whatever their background is. And then you subject them to a losing mentality. And then, like, I don't understand how, even if things start going, you see an upward tick, they'll say, no, we're going to we're gonna bench you now. Or no, we're going to trade you. You played too well for us. It's, and so then I think sometimes these players, after they've been there for a year or two, early in their careers they struggle to adjust to a winning culture elsewhere it's like foreign to them i think it's really sad especially when kids really have a promising future for their career or if they just have like raw talent and are very very skilled and especially because basketball is so technical it takes a lot of reps to be really good and I think it discourages greatness, which I think is terrible. I think everyone should be encouraged to reach their potential and to, to be their greatest version of themselves, whether it's an athlete, whether it's a scientist, whether it's a performer. Like, I, I really get upset when people are held back from their potential 
whether it's political, whether it's like financial, monetary reason, um, whether it's jealousy or whether it's that's just the way that things are supposed to be. I don't I don't like that. And I I don't think it's right. I think it's wrong to to hold someone back, especially if they're really good and really passionate uh, in their respective field. I know we're talking about sports um, specifically, but I think it I think it goes across the board as well. I I don't agree with it at all. So, Ingrid, you might be. I completely agree with all that. Um, I it's it's morally reprehensible to me. That's the way I would most aptly. I find it appalling. But um, I just want to say you're probably our most eclectic guest, <laughs> and we are the world's most eclectic podcast. So I do want to talk to you um, about your your artistic side as well and how you balance being an athlete and an artist. Oh, it's so much fun because yes, sometimes I watch TV and movies just so I can stop thinking and just be entertained myself. Um, But there's also, I have, I'm a very emotional person. I'm very passionate. And sometimes I just have so much inside of me that needs to get out. That's why I love, music that's why I love performing and I love entertaining other people because I feel like I have so much to give and it's really 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 hard to hold it all inside so being able to create something and share it with others is very fulfilling and even if even if I don't share it with others I write a lot of music that I that I haven't shared with a lot of people. I've made a lot of paintings that I've never shown people. Um, most of the paintings that I have, though, I have sold already off of my website. But I, I, it's really important for me to have that kind of creative release, whether it's um, writing or I've recently, in the past couple of years, been been really into um, embroidering, like. Um, in German, they call it Sticken. Uh, it's like uh, sewing, like needlepoint art. I think it's beautiful and it's very relaxing. I can get caught up in this stuff for hours and not even think about anything else. It's, it's almost like therapy because it just shuts my brain down from the outside world and, it, and I'm completely internal. And it's not that I'm thinking about a million things. I'm focused on one specific task and it is it's just so nice to to kind of have that um when there's so much outside stress with my team or maybe there was another terrible earthquake um across the world and so many people are are suffering and the, and everybody's talking about it and everybody's upset and there's so much negativity around and there's so much distractions on the internet and it's just good to kind of just shut everything off and focus on just calming down. It's almost like meditation. And then when I want to do something else, then I can, I can research what happened. I can see if there's a relief fund, if I can donate anything to, I, I donate to ocean conservancy 
I'm really big. I love the ocean and all the aquatic life and all the bright colors under the sea and everything that we haven't discovered yet underwater. I, I'm, I'm huge with that. So I, I donate to um, preserving the ocean and I also donate to preserve wildlife. So I'm, I'm always looking at um, scientist blogs to see, you know, what's going on with that. Um, but sometimes it gets a little stressful because there are so many people protesting things and people are unhappy about this and that. And for me, art is a way to bring a little joy into my life. And when I can share that with other people and it makes them happy or it makes them think or it makes them feel something, then that also gives me something because I gave something to them, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. I, I think it's just all about um, reciprocity, right? Yeah. And, and presenting balance in life. It definitely creates a health, a healthy balance in my life. And there was a time in my life where I stopped painting for a long time, like a year and a half. And it's not like something was missing. I just had a better balance in a different area of my life. I was in a relationship. I was happy. But for me, I kind of joke about this and, and I joke about it with my other artist friends too, that art really comes from unhappiness and it's and it's a way to totally. channel that unhappiness and I kind of was able to look back on my life and be like hmm the time that I didn't do anything artistic I was very happy in my life and yeah. it it seems so sad though it seems like that's a legit sucks. worry of mine <laughs> like I sit up thinking sometimes like because my motto is my philosophy really is uh, channeling pain into produ productivity. Mm. So to do all that, um, to create the projects that I've created and do the work that I do, it's usually fueled by some deep pain that I've sent some loss, some, something that's like kind of negative emotions. And so I'm trying to turn a negative into a positive. But the times when I've, you know, been happy in life where I've had those moments, uh, I worry, like, I have to keep my edge. So I have to find either, you know, I try not to be self-destructive, but either I'm going to look for an out so that I can keep up my, um, my output, my talent. Or I'm going to I'm going to have to figure out something that's like I'm going to have to pull from another unhappy place in my life. I can't just focus on the happy place. Right. And that is it's it's not like it's scary, but like, how do you how do you stay productive in your craft if it if a lot of it is negative? negative. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah. So because I've thought about that um, yeah. as well, like. I don't want my life to be bad in order for my art to be good. be good. So how do I stay creative when things are going well in my life? Like that's a lot of, it's really hard to kind of find that, that balance because it's so it easy is. when things are going wrong. You just want to, you know, like that, that's things when apart and you're like, no, let me, let me just put it on paper. Let me put it on a canvas. Let me write about it. Uh, let me sing yeah. about it. 
but then like when things the are best going albums well, are after heartbreak, right? <laughs> you know, that's when I do some of my best work. Like, boom, boom, boom. Like, I find myself now that like I'm recovering or healing from things. I'm not writing as much songs as I've been writing over the past, you know, while. Right. You know, I probably have three to five albums worth of material. Oh, that's amazing. You know, um, and a two year, and then I got to the place where creatively I was holding myself back. I felt like because I said, I don't want to do things when I'm angry or I'm emotional or I'm not in a good place. Um, you know, mentally, right. Or, um, spiritually, I guess. And I think that was kind of a disservice. Like I listened to, um, you know, I'm a huge hip hop head and, um, you know, hip hop is kind of, you know, a sub theme of the show here, of the podcast. But I remember seeing in real time, certain rap battles and you see the uh, somebody's current state of mind and you can kind of see glimpses of their journey and it's different when you see them when you see people just reflecting on that there, there's a different energy there's a different level of awareness that it's um and i think either way can be productive but there, there's, I think there's a benefit to having both of those moments to say, yeah, like, I agree. Yeah. You know, and I really think it's a, it's a beautiful thing when you can turn negativity into productivity, as you say it. Right. But I also think it's really a skill and then it becomes like an actual like craft when you're able to harness that creativity, that, that inspiration when things aren't bad, when there is nothing negative to, to draw from, when you're, everything is positive and you're still able to create something beautiful and something from the heart, that it's not fake, that it's not, um, that it's not just you know, doing something that you think will make people happy. It's actually doing something from, from you just because you're a creator. Yeah. I think that's when you get to the next level is when you're able to do it when things are bad and good and, and yeah. your, your reactions are not just reactions. You're actually creating because you're able to, to pull from something that you're no longer going through, but you're able to, like you said, reflect on it rather than like, rather than it being something that you're actually going through in the moment. And I think that's, that's a real skill. That's a real talent. I was listening to uh, Stephen Furtick of Elevation Church. I think you listened to him. I as love well. Elevation. Yep. Right. Um, I. By the way, for the record, Stephen Furtick is one of the goats. He's either he's a top three pastor right now in the spiritual game. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. But he was talking about how he prepares for his um, messages, his um, sermons. And he said, you know, you want to be real. You want to be authentic. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But he's like, show people your scars. Don't show them your wounds. So if you're currently going through something, 
don't do that, but you can show people your scars. And then that can come from a place of healing and honesty and openness. But definitely, I think it's important to heal first because then you kind of have outbursts and you're kind of out of control when you act just out of reaction. But when you're able to heal or if you're still healing, you can you can actually uh, do things from from a level head. And I mean, there could be anger in your heart. There could be excitement in your heart. But it doesn't have to be irrational and it doesn't have to be like lashing out or or something completely out of control. But it, it should be something that's relatable because everybody goes through this at some point in their lives. It took me a long time to experience a lot of the things that that people sing about, paint about, write about. There are movies and TV shows about. But at some point, everything becomes relatable and that's when it becomes more enjoyable for other people because then they're not alone. And I think that that's the most important thing that you can do as a human on this planet is to bring people together and make them feel like they matter. I absolutely 110% agree with that because everybody matters. Everybody has a role, everybody has a space in this world. Yeah, I agree. And as someone who grew up kind of being on the outside and I was never popular, I was always made fun of, I was bullied a lot. I had to I hang on one second. Um I'm sorry. There's a lot of noises. Um, yeah, as growing up as 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 someone who was kind of an outcast and and didn't really fit in, I was I was bullied for my hair, I was bullied for my name, I was bullied for my size, um, and I I always felt like I didn't fit in. For the people who are like that, it's really important to feel like you belong somewhere, like you like you matter. And I think that there are so many people now that it's okay to be different. And I think it's actually popular now to be different, to not be like everybody else. And I think that's really, really, um, I think it's really good that that's happening in our, in our society right now. And not just in America, but around the world. And it's, it's, um, it's popular to stand out and stand up for yourself and have your voice be heard. And I think it's really great. I know people are upset when like people were talking about the gay pride parade. They were like, well, why isn't there a straight parade? And it's like, come on. Like I would never go to a straight pride parade (laughs) under any circumstances. Like what would we actually be doing? Yeah, we're like we've been like this forever. Like, I I don't what know do you, what what do you, you even be like celebrating. Excited? Yeah, what do you what do you have to celebrate? What were we held back from? You know, how were we discriminated against? There's nothing for us to celebrate because we've always been like the standard of what's okay. Now, now it's okay to to be yourself when you're a little different, and right. it, that should be celebrated let let them celebrate 
let let people who have been held back or oppressed or literally killed for 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 just being themselves let them celebrate that it's okay to be themselves yeah i mean i know people you know have their thoughts on it but i i just i can't reconcile the fact that like i don't understand how what someone else does sexually is affecting me if they're like consenting adults or even yeah so i i i don't um kind of understand how people can dedicate so much attention to trying to stop that like i just don't know how that's if if another couple wants to be together then i don't know how that's affecting me positively or negatively i just don't get it i don't either because it really doesn't affect you directly at all so for me i don't understand what is so negative about it yeah I, I'm, I'm not understanding where they're they're seeing the the negativity now i do think that like um sexuality shouldn't be forced on anyone like um you know so you know just let people kind of be who they are whether if, if if someone's straight they shouldn't be forced or made to feel like they have to be gay or or bi curious or anything like that but if someone is um you know somewhere on the spectrum i think that's fine too like just let people kind of just do them live and let live and call it a day and figure it out because i i know for a fact that it's biological i know for a fact because there is no way that i could be forced to be attracted to someone i'm not attracted to there i can't be forced and so that's how i know it has to be biological i wasn't i wasn't told to like boys I wasn't told to like girls. Everything just kind of happened the way it happened. I've, and it, there are some people who have been in my life where they didn't know. And so for me, that's also natural that they didn't know. And because they were attracted to both. And that was natural for them. And so it wasn't anything that they were told to do. It was, like with the pheromones that maybe the other people had and that they had, there was some sort of balance where there was attraction and it was like a chemical attraction, like nothing that you could, you could help or force or anything, because I've definitely been attracted to people that I wouldn't think I was attracted to, but it was just a feeling. And I don't think you can force that. I don't think you can be told that I think it's it's all innate and I think it's just something that happens well to um sum up this conversation on attractive on attraction I've had a huge crush on Ingrid since the day I met her (laughs) for the record podcast and when she I am carefully and methodically planning 
a proposal when she comes back stateside. <laughs> Just so you know, podcast, you know. Just for the record. But yeah. Um and also uh we are working on a project together. How is your voicing great? It is uh I'm coming off a cold um from the past week, so it's recovering, but um I have vocal lessons coming up and um things are things are looking really good for my voice. So you can't give us like a little snippet right now, but later you're gonna hear her voice. Um thank you for participating in self care singing September. Oh, that was so much fun. That was really cute. I like that. We're now in octave October. So yeah, yeah. We're gonna keep that trend going. Finish finish out Q four strong, I guess. Okay. <laughs> fourth but, quarter. Fourth Love quarter. It. But yes, uh it's been great having you on here. Um we'll definitely have to have you back um and get into um more of the new businesses that you're creating as well as the ones that you already have established and just get an update on everything that's going on with you and your eclectic lifestyle. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun today. And uh, I really enjoyed the topics, winning mentality, attraction, plans for future after retirement. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's really, it's nice to, to talk about these things out loud. Yes, we talked about the creative process as well. We covered a good bit. Yeah, it was good. Go nice, us. Nice session. Go us. <laughs> Go Trep Life. Go Trep Life. Um, and we will talk off podcast. I'll even hit you up on the WhatsApp app. All right. I'll send you my new number. All right. Bye. Thank you. And from the Trep Life podcast, we wish you peace, prosperity, and purpose on your journey. Peace out to all the Trep stars. Welcome to the Trep Life Podcast. We will dive into the immersive worlds of entrepreneurship, empowerment, and empathy with an emphasis of hip-hop culture. All of these concepts will be dissected and connected via a historic lens. Prepare for an engaging transformation. Just a friendly reminder, if you experience value and insight from Trap Life, support the movement by liking, subscribing, and sharing the podcast. You are instrumental in our impact and influence on the world. Here at Trap Life, we wish you peace and vision on your journey. Trap Life equations, E to the third, H squared equals Trap Life. Entrepreneurship plus empowerment plus empathy, history plus hip hop. Hey, this is Christina Fernandez. I'm the co-founder of Artist Replete, and here's our story that I'm sharing on the Trep Life podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter at artistreplete.com. We hope you enjoy our story, and remember, some traditions were made to be broken. Welcome to the Trep Life podcast. We will dive into the immersive worlds of entrepreneurship, empowerment, and empathy with an emphasis of hip-hop culture. All of these concepts will be dissected and connected via a historic lens. Prepare for an engaging transformation. Just as a friendly reminder, if you are experiencing value and insight from Trap Life, 
Support the movement by liking, subscribing, and sharing the podcast. Writing reviews, blogging, are other ways you can show love to our Trap Life podcast. You are instrumental in our impact and influence on the world. Here at Trap Life, we wish you peace and vision on your journey.